Good morning, we dedicate our learning as we do each and every week for a refuah shlema for Chola Yisrael. Please uh, continue to have in mind, in particular, Harav Gavriel Pinchas Ben Devora Zlata. This week, we have the privilege of beginning the third book of the Torah, Sefer Vayikra. Vayikra is a uh, complicated Sefer which is mostly mostly designated to speak about the issues. It's called Torah's Kohan and it deals with the laws of the priests. It all deals with the sacrifices in the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash. It's a lot of what seems like dry esoteric law, but uh, if you delve a little bit deeper into it, you'll see that much, most, all of it has uh, messages relevant for us as well. So we'll do a quick overview of the Parsha and then get into a few psukim at the, uh, at the end of the Parsha. First of all, the beginning of the Parsha begins, if you look even in the article, page 544, in the Stone Chumash, you'll note, God calls to Moshe and he speaks to him from the Oed saying, what's unusual about that word Vayikra? Everybody knows it has the small Aleph, what's known as the Aleph Zira. Why does the word Vayikra have a small Aleph? We've spoken about this in the past. Why does the Aleph have a, why does the word Vayikra have a small Aleph? And the Balaturim tells us, first of all, we have a tradition from the Medrash that the small Aleph is the Aleph Zeira represents children. This is an allusion to the fact that children should begin their Torah study, not with Beratius, not with the stories of our forefathers, our patriarchs and matriarchs, nor with Dvarim, the messages of Moshe Rabbeinu before we enter the land. But that when young children are about to embark on their study of Torah, where should they begin? The small aleph indicates the children begin with Vayikra, which is very peculiar. If there's one book I would not begin teaching children if you hope that they will love Torah study and want to come back, it would be Vayikra. What's the message that you begin to teach children with Vayikra? I've always understood it that the message to children is life is not about entitlements Life is not about what you receive. Life is about your duties, responsibilities, and obligations. Your attitude towards Judaism can be how it enriches you, or your attitude towards Judaism can be how it can empower you to give and to help others. What is the essence if you have to reduce Sefer Vayikra? It's the concept of sacrifices. It's the concept of being of service. In the end of the day, Vayikra is all about how do you draw close to Hashem? The first points out the root of the word korban is karev, karov, to draw close. A korban is not just some ancient, archaic, barbaric act. The korban is not, the Rambam suggests in Moronavuchim, that maybe it satisfies the urge of the Jewish people at the time whose contemporaries were bringing animal sacrifices. So God said, I'll give you animal sacrifices as well. But much has been written on that statement of the Rambam, what it really means and did he really mean it. But to refer to us, korbanos are not some barbaric means. You bring an animal, you slaughter it, bloods and fat and are being offered, smoke and fire, flesh is being consumed. There's deep spirituality, there's deep meaning, there's deep symbolism. I'm not going to review it now. You could listen online, we've done it in the past. But refer describes that when we slaughter the animal, it's symbolic of slaughtering the animal in us. When we sprinkle the blood, we are symbolically directing our passions. When we burn the fats, we are consuming our indulgences and overindulgences. Reverse describes at length 
how the symbolism of the, car, of the Karbonos is not outdated or irrelevant. In fact, I wrote an article a few months ago when a rabbi wrote a, uh, a public article where he said that he doesn't pray for the building of the third temple and he doesn't play, pray for the Karbonos because is a vegan rabbi who loves animals and it's a mistake to think that service of God in the future will require the sacrifice of animal and he therefore doesn't pray for these things and, um, and that's archaic, that's outdated. Man has progressed, we have advanced, we are beyond such a vision. So I wrote an article, sort of a response saying, not only have we not progressed, but in this very area we've regressed and that we need the symbolism of Karbonos perhaps more than ever because we're living in a generation which technologically has advanced we are in the information age but when it comes to our animal instinct and impulse when it comes to behaving like a chazer, like a chayara when it comes to behaving like an animal eat like a pig, act like an animal whether it's in the indiscretions in, in intimacy, in the physical realm whether it's the obesity of the United States of America who can't control their diet and their appetite, whether it's in all areas of the animal appetite, while we've progressed in so many ways, we've regressed in our sense of moral focus. And we, the animal in us seems to be defeating often the spirit, which is supposed to reign supreme and disciplined. So Refersh's symbolism of Korbanos is more relevant than ever. Not only is it not outdated or insignificant, but it's more relevant. Its message is more relevant. In fact, part of davening, the Navi tells us in the Shama Parim Svasenu, that we don't have these karbonos that we're going to read about. We don't have this mechanism and means to achieve atonement today. So how do we do it? What do we do? So where did the Gemara ask this question? The Gemara says, our shulchan, our dining room table, takes the place of the shulchan. Our Torah study takes the place of the menorah. Our and so on. That we, in the way we fashion our home, takes the place. The attitude that we bring takes the place. But Chazal understood and enacted for us that the Prophet was telling us that uh, our lips fulfill the pledge of the Parim. We fulfill the pledge of the sacrifice through reading about it. That's why one of the most important parts of davening, although often neglected, and trampled upon is Karbanos, the very beginning of davening, where you recite the Karbanos. People come late, or they're catching up, or they're in such a rush, or they just omit it because it seems so inaccessible, it's hard to understand. But it's really the Iker part of davening, because it captures what was the obligation of bringing sacrifices. And when you read that sacrifice, it's supposed to elicit within us the commitment, like the person who spent the money and brought the animal all the way to Harabayas and handed it to the Kohen and saw it shechted and felt, I'm watching the slaughter of this animal, that's the slaughter of the animal instinct in me. It's a pledge, it's a promise. I'm going to promote my godly spirit. I'm going to be more disciplined. I'm killing the animal in me. I'm, I'm burning the fats. I'm sprinkling the blood, the wine, the flour. Wine is man's luxuries. The flour is man's basic necessities. Refresh beautifully describes all of the details. Not only is it not archaic or outdated, not only should we continue to daven for it, but we need its message perhaps now more than ever. So that's what, uh, that's what Sefer Vayikra is really all about. How do we get into this? Oh, the Olives era, the children. So why do we start teaching children with the book of Vayikra? Teach them gracious, the stories. 
teach them the story of the Jewish people forging as a nation our destiny marching into the land of Israel Vayikra you're going to see that this week's parsha it's very hard to find the Mepharshim to make it so relevant to us today the different Karbanos and the details of the Karbanos the animals the sprinkle the slaughter it's complicated it's complex this is what we're teaching children so it seems to me the answer is yes the Aleph Bey is the beginning of what we teach children about Torah is it's not all Magiyali it's not what can God and Torah do for me but it's the sacrifice that I'm willing to give for it it's the commitment it's the willingness to be willing to be Moser Nefesh that it's not always easy this is a I think a challenge that our generation as much as more than any other faces young children today young children millennials they don't understand why should I do something that doesn't do anything for me I once gave a very impassioned plea to teenage boys about davening and never missing a day of putting on their tefillin and I told them Achuva and Mimamakim Rav Oshri the great uh, Rav of the Kovna Ghetto who responded to incredible questions of spiritual resistance during the Holocaust and he scribbled his notes from the questions and the answers he gave with no access to Svarim he scribbled them and he buried them in tin cans and after after the liberation and after the war they were able to recover them and he published them in four or five volumes called Shailos and Tshuvas Mimamakim Responsive from the Depths and uh, in there he has a tshuva about a child 11 or 12 year old boy who asks him in the Kovno Ghetto says Rebbe Ravoshri I am not going to live to my 13th birthday let's be honest you can see what's coming we see what's happening there's a very small chance that I'm going to live to be 13 I've grown up my entire life watching men put on tefillin and I can't imagine going to my death without wearing tefillin I can't imagine leaving this world without the experience of wearing tefillin may I wear tefillin even though I'm only 11 I don't remember if it was 11 or 12 years old can you imagine that question I turned to these teenage boys I said could you imagine I would have said heck with tefillin heck with davening where's God sitting in the Kovna Ghetto watch what's happening all around to volunteer to do something to not be able to imagine not wearing tefillin and Ravoshiri went through the whole halacha you need a gufnaki and this child is mature enough so absolutely he could wear tefillin and tells the boy yes I turned to these boys and I said how could you leave your tefillin in school on a Sunday how could you not put on tefillin every day think about this boy what he was willing to this is all he wanted in the Kovna Ghetto we have the freedom and the boys some of the boys looked at me and said eh, why should I put on tefillin it doesn't do anything for me you're asking me to strap leather to my arm a box to my head it doesn't do anything for me why should I do something that doesn't do anything for me and this is a question which we need to find the answer to because young people are asking it. ah Shabbos I'm glad it works for you a parent recently asked me to talk to their child who's not as rigorously committed to observance and the parent put everything into that child and doesn't understand why the child's not and, and I, of course I'm committed to and I will I'm going to do everything I can but the child I already know what he's going to say that's what my parents have chosen for themselves why does it have to be what I want the notion of being Moser Nefesh the notion of even when it doesn't do something for me I'm committed to do it because my father did it my grandfather my great grandfather I'm part of something greater than myself I'm part of a future a destiny bigger than myself there's truth and authenticity and meaning to the system even if the particular detail doesn't do anything for me so where do we start teaching children? Vayikra the Aleph Zeira the concept of Mesiris Nefesh 
Now I know Rav Moshe Feinstein was famous for saying that in years past and generations ago we said you inspired the youth by saying it's not easy to be a Jew but you have to do it and Rav Moshe already remarked a century ago in America that if you say children will leave Yiddishkeit you have to say it's beautiful to be a Yid it's magnificent, it's meaningful, it's incredible it's enriching and it's all true but with it there has to be a sense of being able to be Moser Nefesh that's Vayikra, sacrifice sometimes you have to make sacrifices if you have paid or currently pay the cost of Jewish tuition you understand what it means to bring Karbonos you understand what it means to make sacrifices because you believe in something bigger than yourself so that's why we start children here the Balaturim gives a different answer the Balaturim says Shemoshaya Gadol Va'anav Laratza Lichtov Ela Vayikra Lashem Mikra Moshe, who took the, who took the um, dictation from Hashem, Moshe wanted to write it Vav Yud Kuf Resh and leave out the Aleph, which sounds like Lashon Mikra, chance, happenstance, randomness. Moshe wanted to suggest, it says Vayikrael Hashem, that God called out specifically to him. But Moshe wanted to suggest, hey, it was me, you, it could have been anybody, I'm nothing special. Who am I? Says the Balaturim, Gadol Va'anav, because of Moshe's humility, because he was so humble, he wanted to make it seem like, ah, God could have called anybody, it happens to be me. And that's why the Aleph is small. Moshe is trying to express humility. So Moshe didn't want the Aleph at all. He wanted to look like Moshe Mikra, half a chance. God said to him, you have to write the Aleph. You have to accurately record. I said, I called out to you. Write it with the Aleph. So how did they find the compromise? They wrote a small Aleph. An Aleph's era. And that's how it appears in our Sefer Torah. So I'll ask you a simple question. I'll ask you a simple question. Why did Moshe wait till now to insist that it was chance that God called him? We just spent an entire book of Shmos of God talking to Moshe, of Moshe receiving dictation and recording what God said. And there were a lot of Alephs in Sefer Shemos. There were a lot of opportunities for Moshe earlier to have suggested that he's nothing special. God could have called anybody. Why did Moshe wait till now to express this humility? What do you think? Yes. No, but here now he's now he's more humble. Now he's insisting to make it look like it wasn't him. At the beginning, he should have been more humble. So maybe you're suggesting he grows in his humility. The greater he is, the more humble he's become. Okay. Again, I think I would suggest to you humbly that that uh, it's specific to Sefer Vayikra. It is specific to the book whose theme is being part of something so much greater than ourselves that Moshe expresses this humility. It is specifically here in the book of Ayikra, which is the notion of sacrifices. One of the things that we sacrifice is our ego. One of the messages that we send in Vayikra is that I sacrifice the animal in me, I sacrifice the ego in me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about needing the attention 
It's not about the focus or taking all the air out of the room. So maybe it's specifically the book whose theme is Vayikra, of Karbonos, of Mesiris Nefesh, of realizing you're something bigger than yourself, is Moshe begins the book of sacrifice with sacrificing his ego. With saying, you know what? It's not really all about me. Lashon Mikra. It's just chance God chose me, but he could have chosen anybody. Part of the message of Karbonos is the willingness to sacrifice our ego, and that's what humility is. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Right? I forgot who said that. It wasn't me. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Moshe knows who he is and how great he is. Right? It's foolish to deny the skills or the talents that you have. That's not a Jewish view of humility. Humility is not to think less of yourself, it's to think of yourself less. And that's how Moshe begins Sefer Vayikra, by trying to think of himself less, trying to write without the Aleph. God insists on the Aleph, and therefore they compromise with the Aleph Zeira, with the small with the small Aleph. Okay. So the parsha goes on. We have the rules of Karbanos. Adam ki yakrev mikem Karban Lashem. We've also spoken about this in the past. Adam. Why doesn't it say Ish? Why does it say Adam? Man. Ki yakrev mikem Karban. When you sacrifice from yourself a sacrifice. Why not Ish? Why Adam ki yakrev? What? Adam Arishon. It's reminiscent of Adam Arishon. In what way? Uh huh. So uh, right, because Adam was the master. He gave the names to all of the animals. Offered sacrifice. He was the first one. So uh, we return to our roots. It's reminiscent of Adam Arishon. Good. Anything else? Why Adam, not Ish? We see all over the rest of the Torah, Ish, we're going to see in our Parsha, Ish, Kimal, Mal, Ish, why here, Adam? Yes? Okay, non-Jews can bring sacrifices also, and only the Jew, the Gemara says, is called more developed man. What else? I think because it's a reminder of returning to our roots. In other words, Adam Arishon, one of the most basic components is the capacity to have our godly spirit rule supreme over our animal. It's part of the message of Karbonos. Who is Adam? Right, I wrote about it last week in the weekly. The notion of the godly soul, the animal impulse, the soul is immortal, the soul lives long after it's extracted from the body. So what is the soul? The soul is an extension of the Almighty. Like Kabbalah gives the mashal, the parable of the glass blower, who breathes through the tube into the glass, so it's the breath of the glass blower that ultimately fills the glass. So God breathed life into us. It means we're animated with a godly soul. It's God who's present within us. So that first Adam, what are we doing when we bring a sacrifice? We're trying to recover to go back to be like Adam Arishon, who was the first man who God breathed life into. We're returning to our roots. Adam Kiyakrev Mikem Karban. How do you become like Adam Arishon? as pure as Adam Arishon Kodam Achet? How do you go back to be like original man who experienced directly the creation of the Almighty? Adam, how do you become Adam? Ki yakrif mikem karbon. Get rid of the animal in you, emphasize the godly spirit in you, and you go back to fulfill and realize your entire purpose of creation. You go back to the status of Adam Arishon in Gan Eden. Hami. 
Oh, okay, yeah. That there are consequences. So what is sacrifices? That's how we achieve atonement. So just like Adam was the first to make a mistake and had consequences for his mistake, Adam, Adam made a mistake. So you too are fallible. We're man. And we're going to make a mistake. So the way to correct it, the way to achieve atonement is a carbon. Beautiful. So we have a lot of different explanations of why Adam, Kiyakrav Mikem, Karban. Nefesh, we're going to get to. Venefesh Kisechta. So we see Nefesh, we see Ish, why Adam. So these are our suggestions why Adam. We have the different uh, Karbanos. We begin with the Karban Ola, is the first sacrifice. And then we have. <coughs> And the Torah goes through the de- details of the flour, oven baking pan, deep pan offering. We have the bris melach, the covenant of the salt, which we remind ourselves of when we use salt with bread. People mistakenly think that all of the different rituals that we have associated with making hamotzi on Shabbos, people mistakenly think that that is specific to Shabbos. The truth is it has nothing to do with Shabbos. When you make hamotzi on a Tuesday, you're also supposed to dip your bread in salt before you eat it. Why? reminiscent of the bris melach. What's the bris melach? The covenant of the salt that's here represented in our parsha, page 552. Pasuk Yud Gimel. As long as you dip your meal offering in salt, lo tashpis. Melach bris takriv melach. God's covenant on your meal offering and every offering shall you offer shall you offer salt. The idea is that uh, it represents a covenant between us and God, a permanent uh, protection and a relationship. And we recount this by dipping ourselves in salt. What night do you not have to dip in salt? It's coming up. Pesach. Why the Seder night do we not have to dip in salt? So first of all, we don't want to distort the time matzah. You're supposed to have only the taste of matzah, but it's also given... Because what is the first night of Pesach? It's considered to be a Leil Shimurim. It's a night of protection. We leave our door unlocked. You don't have to say the full Kriya Shema Lamita. There's all kinds of uh, expressions of this concept that it's a Leil Shimurim. It's a night of divine protection. So we don't need the Bris Melach on that night of divine protection. We already have the promise of divine protection. You don't need to go through the motion of the covenant of the salt. So therefore, we don't dip the matzah in salt at the, at the Seder. We then have the korban shlomim, the peace offering. We then have the korban chatas, the sin offering. And then the uh, parsha concludes with a, um, another kind of sin offering called the korban olaviyored, which depends on the um, position of the person who offers it and what they can afford. So I want to point out a few things here towards the end of the parsha. First go to Parakei Pasagalaf, chapter 5, verse 1. This is the carbon Olaviori. The turban types of chatas. The nefesh ki secheta, I'm sorry, page 560 in the article, the bottom of page 560. Parakei Pasagalaf. The nefesh ki secheta, if a person, and correct, here doesn't say ish or adam, it says, Nefesh. The person is described as a soul. Nefesh is the lower soul. The neshama is the higher soul. The nefesh kisecheta. What does the word chait mean? What does the word sin mean? 
I see article uses the word sin. I hate the word sin. The sin is a Christian word to me. What does the word sin mean? A sin is a Christian term that connotes you're going to descend to the gates of hell with fiery, you know, uh, devil with a pitchfork and a fiery furnace. And I don't know what that means. The word chait in Hebrew, if you look in Tanakh, it means a miss. Tanakh, it describes if you shoot an arrow and you miss the mark, a chait is a miss. You actually continue to use it in modern Hebrew. If you go to Israel and you turn on the TV and you watch the Miami Heat play, you'll hear them say often, who hichti, he missed. <laughs> to miss. So what is a chait? A chait really, a sin, I don't know what that means. But a chait means a missed opportunity. The Ribbonu Shalom gives us opportunities to be close to him. He gives us opportunities to lead a richly meaningful life. And we either take advantage of those opportunities resulting in feeling close to the Ribbonu Shalom, or we miss those opportunities resulting in our feeling distanced and our feeling far away. A sin, I don't know what that connotes. I don't even know what the word sin means. But I know what a missed opportunity is. I know what a missed opportunity is. What's the punishment for a missed opportunity? That you miss the opportunity. You don't need an outside punishment to come. The fact that you miss the opportunity and you suffer the consequence of having missed the opportunity is the punishment. If you think about the fact that a relationship with the Rebona Shalom is like our relationships in life. If my wife asks me to do something and I jump to do it right away, so do I get an, a reward for that? The reward is the feeling of closeness that we have in our relationship because I was responsive to the need that she articulated. And what if she asks me to do something and I ignore it and I dismiss it and I have no interest in doing it and I do what I want to do instead? Is there some outside punishment that comes? The punishment is the feeling of coldness, the feeling of distance that results from having disregarded what the person wanted. So the same is true with Hashem. Hashem delineates for us the difference is, in our case, everything Hashem asks of us is for, for our own good. It's not to say that it's not true with our spouses, but it means in a spouse there's a give and take and there's a balance you have to find between the interests of each party. In our relationship with the Ribbono Shalom, everything Hashem wants is for our own good. He doesn't want for Himself independent of us. Everything He wants is for us. So when I listen to His wants, when I respect and fulfill and obey His needs, what is the reward? That I feel close. And when I disregard and dismiss what he wants, when I violate a chit, when I miss the opportunity to get close, what's the punishment? That I'm far away, that I'm distant. So whenever you see the word chit, you'll see it a lot in these parashios, to me the word chit does not mean sin. I don't know what the word sin means. It means missed opportunity. You blew it, you missed an opportunity to, to realize your potential, to be who you could be, to have the most meaningful life, to give to Hashem. There a difference uh, uh, with sin meaning something more serious, uh, say uh, eating treif versus uh, not putting on sitzes. You know, is uh, not putting on sitzes. So you have different levels of missed opportunities. You're right. There's a difference between I didn't take out the garbage and I uh, gambled away all of our savings and didn't tell my wife. Uh, there are gradations in all relationships and in our relationship with Hashem also. There are gradations of violating what He wants. So there's different levels of them. Pesha, you know, when it comes to Slichos uh, and Yom Kippur, we say Slach Lanu, Machal Lanu, Kapir Lanu, they correspond with the three types of sin. 
But again, that word sin, I'm just trying to get to the idea that a sin doesn't mean like there's some arbitrary rule, I didn't do it, now I have some arbitrary punishment. It's all about in the context of a relationship. I'm presented with opportunities, and the result of the opportunities I take advantage of are feeling close to Hashem, and the result of neglecting the opportunity or dismissing or disregarding them is feeling distant. So again, nefesh ki secheta, if you have a soul who missed the mark, v'shama kol Allah, v'hu aid, he accepted to take a Allah, to swear, v'hu aid, he's a witness, o ra'a o yada, he either saw something or he knew something, im lo yagid v'nasa avono. What is this carbon that you bring? What is this carbon referring to? This is what's called Shvuasa Eidos. What happens? Somebody borrowed money from me, and I know that you saw that person borrow money from me. And I'm trying to recover the money. So I come to you and I say, do me a favor, I'm taking so-and-so to Basin. I need you to come testify that you saw him borrow money. You say, I don't want to get involved, I don't know what you're talking about, I didn't see nothing. I say, well, you didn't see anything. What you? you were right there. You were standing there. I asked you to watch. You and I both know you saw. I need you to testify. My capacity to recover the money is contingent on your testifying. So you say, I, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't see anything. So I can take you to Bayesden and in order to, I can essentially um, subpoena you to Bayesden. And the only way that you can get out of testifying is that you have to swear you don't know. Now what happens if you later feel so guilty you come forward and say, you know, I have to admit, I swore that I didn't know because I didn't want to get involved, but I can't sleep at night because it's my fault you haven't recovered that money. I lied. I did know. I could have testified. I swore falsely. So that's what's called Shavuah Sa'edus is to swear that you don't know. It's an oath to get out of having to testify. And if it turns out that you admit later that you did that falsely, you have to bring this carbon. This is the sacrifice. So let's read the Pasuk again. Nefesh ki secheta. How did you make a mistake? You missed the mark? You missed the mark by saying you didn't know and then compounding it by swearing you didn't know. So if you accepted a demand for us to swear as a witness, you either saw or you knew and you didn't testify and you later admit that you did know, so then you should bear your iniquity. You bear your iniquity. Says Rashi, V'shama kol Allah, Talking about something that you testified to, you saw, you swore with an oath that if you would have known, you would have testified. You lied. You lied. The Ibn Ezra points out this word Allah can mean two things. It means both a oath to swear, and it also means a curse. That if you swear falsely, look at the Ibn Ezra, V'nefesh ki secheta v'shama kol Allah, hu ha'cherem, v'chein v'yat alis. Ha'kosav achaz derech tzara v'hizr sh'chay v'ha'id lahagid, ki imo yagid, yesh alav onesh me'ashem sh'nisa avonau. V'im shachach v'lo higid v'achar ke'n nizkarlo. Why is the same word Allah mean, mean oath and curse? Because if you swore falsely, you will be cursed by God. If you swear falsely, you will be cursed. You will suffer the result, you will be cursed by God. Look at the Orachayim HaKadosh. It says the Orachayim, Tzorach Ladas, Le'eze inyan amar ki secheta cheta. Shlohaya lomar ela ki sishmako. Why does it say ki secheta? It should have just said, ki sishmako, you swore falsely. V'nira ki liyosh shalohutzrach bazeh lashbiyo lezeh elotach l'aratzolah ilay dashiyesh lalizhuso 
Says the Rachaim, you compounded, you made two mistakes. First of all, you denied you knew anything. You objected, you refused to testify. And then you compounded it by swearing falsely. And that's why it says, First you lied and said you didn't know when you did. And then, And then you were heard swearing falsely, which compounded it. Which compounded it. Which is worse, swearing falsely to God? Or the fact that you lied and denied your friend his money? Which is worse? So there's an insight of the Sefer Sifsei Kohen, the commentary of the Sifsei Kohen on our Pasuk. Here's what he says. You really know testimony that can help your friend recover money, but you refuse to testify. So you essentially are denying your friend money. You're causing him to lose. Says the Sifsei calling from here you can see how beloved is money. Hashem values money. The Pasuk says, we didn't continue to read. It says, You carry your iniquity. And the Pasuk continues and it says, if you're guilty and you confess, in all these other cases, it didn't use the same language that when you're guilty, you have to confess that which you did. Why? Listen to what he says. Because to have hurt your fellow man who relied on you and your testimony to have failed your fellow person is more egregious, it's worse it's more missing the mark it's a greater hate than to fail the Almighty God can figure it out without you but your friend is out of money because of you and this is what the Mishnah Avo says the money of your friend should be just as precious as your money. You don't squander money or waste money. You count every penny and every dollar. Your friend's money should be as precious to you as your own money. And this is hinted to in the words. It says, if you look, Lo Yagid. Where is it? Im Lo Yagid Venasavono. What's unusual about the spelling of that word Lo? Lamid. Vav Aleph. How do you normally spell low? Lamed Aleph. Why is there a Vav? Why is there a Vav? So he says, because it means both things. In low Yagid, if you refuse to testify, and low meaning you. Shim lo Yagid, Yazik Latzmo. Who do you hurt the most by not testifying or swearing falsely? Yourself. You gave up your integrity. You lied. You lost your essence as a person if you're dishonest. If you don't have dignity, if you don't have integrity, lo, you hurt yourself. The one who is damaged the most, the greatest victim is you. And if you deny your friend money, it's as if you lost money. Because we are all one humanity. And what happens if we start lying? 
And what happens if we start testifying falsely? And what happens if we start being financially corrupt? Who will lose out in the end? All of us. Because a corrupt society can't function. Everyone will suffer. And that's why we should be as careful of our friends' money as we are with our own. Because the moment we introduce corruption or dishonesty, a lack of integrity, the system crumbles and we all become victims as a result. And that's why it says, Lo, Lamed, Vav, Aleph, meaning if you don't testify, if you're corrupt, Lo, Lamed, Vav, you too will suffer. You suffer because you've, you've compromised your very character. And you suffer because all society will suffer when corruption is introduced. So you see, says the Sifsei Kohen, that from the language of this Pasuk, which is harsher than the language when describing even the Nasi, the prince, the Kohen Gadol, and you see our great rabbis, the mistakes that these Karbanos that are offered on behalf of leaders, this language is even more strict because you didn't testify about the $5 that your friend bought, lent somebody else. Why is it stricter? Because it's more egregious to hurt your fellow man than it is to even hurt the Almighty Himself. I wanted to cover more, but I have to uh, end early today, so I apologize. I wanted to review the end of the parish. Okay, but we at least got started on the third book, Sefer Vayikra. We will have Shir next week, if there are people interested. It's Arif Pesach, but we will. Wishing everyone a fantastic rest of the week.